Part two, chapter six of War and Peace by Leo Tolstoy, translated by Nathan Haskell Doyle. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. Kutuzov was retreating toward Vienna, destroying the bridges behind him over the river Inn at Bernau, and over the river Tuan at Linz. On the fourth of November, the Russian army were crossing the river Enns. At noon, the baggage wagons, the artillery, and the columns of the army stretched through the city of Enns on both sides of the river. It was a mild autumnal day, but showery. The wide prospect commanded by the height where stood the Russian batteries protecting the bridge was now suddenly veiled by a muslin-like curtain of slanting rain, then again was suddenly still further broadened so that distant objects stood out distinctly, gleaming in the sunlight as though they were varnished. At their feet lay the little city with its white houses and red roofs, its cathedral and the bridge, on both ends of which the Russian troops could be seen, pouring along in dense masses. Down the bend of the Danube, where it was joined by the waters of the Enns, could be seen boats and an island with a castle and park. Farther still was the left bank of the river, with bold rocks and overgrown with evergreens, while in the mysterious distance arose green mountains with deep ravines. The turrets of a monastery stood out above the wild and apparently impenetrable pine forest, and far away, on a height in front, on the same side of the river ends, the enemy's scouts could be discerned. On the brow of the hill, among the field pieces, stood the general in command of the rear-guard, with an officer of his suite, making observations of the landscape with a glass. A little behind them, astride a gun-carriage, sat Nesvitsky, who had been sent to the rear-guard by the commander-in-chief. The Cossack who accompanied him was handing out a lunch-bag and flask, and Nesvitsky was inviting the officers to share his little pies and genuine dopokumel. The officers gaily crowded around him, some on their knees, some sitting Turkish fashion on the wet grass. Certainly that Austrian prince was no fool in building his castle there. Glorious place! You are not eating anything, gentlemen, said Nesvitsky. Thank you cordially, prince, returned one of the officers, glad of the chance to exchange a word with such an important member of Kutuzov's suite. Yes, it is a splendid place. We went by that very park, saw a couple of deer, and it's a magnificent house. Look, prince, said another, who would very gladly have accepted another pie, but was ashamed to do so, and was, therefore, pretending to examine the landscape. Look yonder. Our infantry have got in already. Look there, on that meadow, behind the village. Three men are dragging something along. They'll clear out that little place quick enough, said he, with evident approval. Yes, that's so, said Nesvitsky. Ah, but I should like, he added, stuffing a pie into his handsome, moist mouth, I should like to get in yonder. He pointed to the turret convent, which could be seen on the mountainside. He smiled, and his eyes contracted and flashed. That would be some fun, gentlemen. The officers laughed. How I should like to frighten those little nuns. Italians, they say, and some of them young and pretty. Truly, I would give five years of my life. And they say they find it a bore, said an officer, bolder than the rest, with a laugh. Meantime, the officer of the suite, standing on the brow of the hill, was pointing out something to the general, who scrutinized it with his field-glass. "'Yes, that is so, that is so,' said the general, gravely, 
taking the glass from his eye and shrugging his shoulders. You are right. They are going to fire at them as they cross the river. Why do they dawdle so? In that direction, with even the naked eye, could be seen the enemy and his battery, from which arose a milk-white puff of smoke, immediately followed by the distant report, and it could be seen how the Russian troops were hastening to get across the river. Nesvitsky dismounted from the cannon and, with a smile, went up to the general. "'Wouldn't your excellency like to have a bite of luncheon?' he asked. "'It's all wrong,' said the general, not answering him. "'Our men are so slow.' "'Shall I not go down to them, your excellency?' asked Nesvitsky. "'Yes, do go down, please,' replied the general, reiterating the orders that he had already given. "'And tell the hussars to cross last and burn the bridge, as I ordered, and see to it that no combustible materials are left in it.' "'Very good,' said Nesvitsky. He called the Cossack to bring up the horses, bade him pack up the bag and flask, and lightly swung his heavy body into the saddle. "'Truly,' I am going to that nunnery, said he to the officers, who were looking at him with a smile, and then galloped off down the path that skirted the hill. Now, then, try if you can reach them. Take good aim, Captain, said the general, turning to the officer. You'll relieve the monotony by a little fun. Serve the guns, commanded the officer, and in a minute the gunners were running with a will from their bouviac fires and beginning to load. Number one, rang the command. Number one rushed spitefully away. With a deafening metallic ring, the cannon resounded, and the whizzing shell flew far away over the head of the Russians in the valley, and then a spurt of smoke showed where it had fallen, and burst long before it reached the enemy. The faces of the officers and men grew radiant at this report. All leaped to their feet and watched with intense curiosity the motions of their troops in the valley below them, and the approach of the enemy, all spread out before them, as on the palm of the hand. At the moment the gun had been fired, the sun came out entirely from under the clouds, and the report of the cannon and the brilliancy of the sun mingled in one single martial and joyous impression. End of chapter 6